You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome. You found the Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz show on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, and while I am an attorney, the Buzz Off show is not legal advice. Instead, it's a weekly look at all of the buzz surrounding drones, autonomous vehicles, the Internet of Things, and all of the technology in between. Catch us each Wednesday from 2 to 3 Eastern on AmericasWebRadio.com or find the Lawyer Liz podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or any of your favorite podcast streaming services. Up for grabs this week, we have phishing, flying, DOJ subpoenas, and regulatory storms ahead in D.C. We'll be chatting later in the show with Josh Searing from Kitty Hawk, a drones solutions uh, platform service, on his thoughts on where things are going in D.C. when it comes to regulating drones in particular. Everybody wants to be a beltway baller. So how is the FAA getting involved in this latest move? But before then, we're going to take a look at all the buzz surrounding, well, of course, drones, but also social media. And in honor of October being Cybersecurity Awareness Month, looking at Again, once again, looking at all of the toys and gear aimed at kids. In this case, the FTC has been asked to take a closer look at and investigate children's watches. The watches are found to have at least five vulnerabilities identified as critical of sorts in that they permit third-party control, audio, remote audio surveillance, location spoofing, the emergency SOS system compromised, and quite frankly, the data is insecurely stored in general. So just as we've talked about in the past, the issues with some of the children's toys. In this case, Mnemonic discovered all of these security flaws in three of the four GPS watch, children's watches, and really raised some significant concerns, both about the privacy as well as strangers being to track, eavesdrop, and even communicate with the child. We've joked on the last show about how some pranksters, perhaps not quite nefarious individuals, but how some pranksters were using drones with audio capabilities to fly, allegedly fly low over playgrounds. Well, in this case, they don't even have to go that far. Uh, They can take a stranger, nefarious individual, can take control of the child's watch and start harassing them in that case. So the Norwegian Consumer Council, the security firm Mnemonic, uh, asked the FTC, said basically, can you pull the watches 
and ask the FTC to take a closer look at what is going on. They're called the Gator 2 Watch, uh, Karev TikTok Explorer Watches that are using the SE Tracker series of apps and to tell. So basically, before you buy that really cool watch for your child, figure out whether that is the best communication uh, tool you should be using. Well, and if you were looking to buy them a drone, well, there's going to be some interesting changes. One thing to keep in mind is we've had the first ever uh, reported drone airplane strike in North America. In this case, it happened in Canada, in Quebec, but a Skyjet Airlines plane was coming in on approach about three kilometers away from the airport and suffered minor damage when it came in contact with a drone. So one thing to point out, though, is that we still had more reported turtle strikes uh, on airplanes to the FAA than in the U.S., where we've had one helicopter strike that was reported. But in this case, it is coming. It's something everyone knew was going to happen. And keeping in mind, particularly highlighted by the wildfires out in California, where in several instances, once again this year, uh, Firefighting uh, helicopters and aircraft were grounded due to reports of drones in the area. One place where drones were reported, and it was a good thing, was in Las Vegas, where UPS and Workhorse tag-teamed to run some delivery drone tests, where the drone itself would dock uh, and remain with the delivery truck, but when the driver pulls up to the address, can load the package on the drone, drone within delivered, and return back to the van. Benefit there would be the saving of both time and fuel for the driver with each stop, not as much driving stopping from house to house, finding a central location on a street, and perhaps using the drone to deliver five packages or so without having to move the van. So that's one area that drone sightings would be a good thing. Another interesting little tidbit is why Botic has started testing their wireless charging pad, their docking station for drones, moving us one step closer to integrating that technology in more places than now. And CNN recently announced that they have received the first FAA Part 107 waiver for operating over people currently commercial aircraft cannot, or commercial drone operations cannot occur over crowds of people. So how did CNN receive this? Well, in their series of testing, they initially had looked at using a tethered drone. Well, after going back and forth with the FAA and everything in remarks made publicly at various forums, one of the counsel for CNN noted they were told to go back to the drawing board and, you know, 
create something quote unquote squishy. So they did just that. They have a 1.37 pound snap drone that is of a uh, snap together parts, the closed rotors, so they're enclosed. They're not the kind of uh, rotors, propellers that when in motion would slice up quite as much. Just ask Enrique Iglesias how he eh, suffered during his concert where he had a drone that he tried to bat at and slice his hand open. So the snap drone is nothing like that. And instead, it's also made of a softer material intended to bounce. Well, best of luck. Congratulations to CNN. And best of luck as they test this out. It's baby steps forward before we can walk, before you can run. And talking about running, though, uh, one group of uh, fishers or social engineers uh, perhaps should have tested the waters a little bit before they embarked on their scam. They sent phishing emails with militia, uh, documents loaded with malicious content to attendees of the Army Cyber Institute's PSYCON and Cisco has a good blog post outlining what happened there. But one would think when you're sending the phishing emails to a group of attendees on for an international uh, cybersecurity conference at the level of the Army Cyber Institute, you probably haven't pegged your crowd or tested your market. And heavens forbid anyone actually clicked on it because Now, that's just downright embarrassing. But what's also going to be interesting to see play out is, and potentially embarrassing for the Department of Justice, is the Department of Justice has subpoenaed Twitter for five information on five different users, including uh, Popat, which all of whom, or most of whom, of these users are former or current attorneys. In some cases, have worked for government. But when does a smiley tweet response to someone, well, rise to the level of stalking, stalking or violating the CFAA? And Twitter is fighting back on the subpoenas, uh, pointing out that in most cases, the user's information is publicly available, that a subpoena is not necessary, but also wondering what the nexus is. Why are they targeting these users for what was essentially lighthearted trolling, in some cases, doxing, uh, or at least discussing an FBI agent's information or at least their name on Twitter, but by no means were malicious. So keep an eye on how that case unfolds, but also keep an eye on what's coming out of Washington and the White House. White House has signaled that they're open to modifying the drone regulations and 
ceding more of the control to state and local governments. The reason why that's troubling, well, to some is that it has the potential to create that patchwork of uh, rules and regulations that the airspace generally hasn't suffered from under manned aviation. The question is whether it's appropriate when it comes to unmanned. And in particular, focusing in on some of the issues with right now, if a commercial operator wants to fly within so many miles of an airport, they have to apply, uh, submit a waiver request to the FAA, and it's a paper documentation. It's a paper request. FAA then has to process it, and that can take between 60 and 90 days. Well, the FAA has been looking at launching its Lance system, as well as releasing some reports by some of its working groups. Well, when the working groups themselves are compromised of a variety of member interests, but the meetings are not necessarily held out in the open, well, what happens then? And where is that going to lead the industry? So our next guest after this commercial break will be Josh Zering from Kitty Hawk and taking a look at what all these upcoming regulatory changes could mean, how we got there, and what's next for the industry. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz. And as mentioned before the break, we are getting into kind of the critical phase in the unmanned systems. The drone industry is that suddenly the legislators, the regulators, and everyone in between has noticed the need or the importance of manning or controlling the aircraft and as part of that they're all getting into the regulation game and wanting to be beltway ballers so one of the companies that has taken the forefront in the software and systems at the data side is co-found was co-founded by josh Zering and Josh has joined us because Josh recently wrote a very interesting op-ed highlighting some of the underlying issues with the FAA's regulatory approach and the industry's approach to participating. So, Josh, welcome to the show. And as I mentioned, you co-founded and chief pilot of Kitty Hawk. 
And tell us a little bit about that. Kitty Hawk is a drone operations management software. So Kitty Hawk unifies the mission, the aircraft, and the data to empower commercial drone operations. Our customers include the likes of CNN, Travelers Insurance, and Shell Oil. And we work across industries and verticals to help people manage their drone operations safely and compliantly at scale. So that's a fancy way of saying, basically, y'all are the system that's running all of it. You know, it's, uh, it's been described as an operating system, and, you know, that has such a computer overtone to it. But <laughs> really, when it when you look at what it takes to run a drone operation across an organization, it is not unlike an operating system. And so we help make sure that everybody is following the pre-flight procedures, that they have access to the airspace information, that they know the current weather conditions, everything they need to be Part 107 compliant and be responsible operators. And for the enterprise that's managing them, the ability to look into their organization and have the transparency they need to make sure everybody's following the rules and everybody's following the policies that the enterprise has set out for them. What we see, and that has been so interesting to me, is that the enterprises are actually more stringent than the FAA requires. And so some of some of our customers are able to do really exciting things because they hold themselves to such high standards. Uh, for example, go ahead. I was say because you're highlighting the fact that these that drones are not just the aircraft itself that one they are an aircraft but there's the systems and there's a lot that goes into it. basically they're flying computers so the connected I, I to the IoT likening it uh, during the eclipse is. Who would have thought that during the last solar eclipse we'd have supercomputers in our pockets powering high-resolution cameras flying around somewhat autonomously, all available in less than two pounds worth of package? It's really quite unbelievable. I mean, it, it truly is. We've, we've come a long way, but you have to be able to manage that responsibly. You know, with great power comes great responsibility kind of thing. Uh so what are some of the ways y'all are helping your so customers, your I, I like to come back to the story about rules. And so rules, believe it or not, in our industry create freedom. And it's not just our industry. It's other industries as well. So, for example, we all agree that words mean the same thing and that periods go at the end of sentences. And it's those rules of language that allow us to have the freedom of expression. We all agree to drive on the right-hand side of the road and that the octagonal red sign depending on the country, country. Uh, and that the octagonal red sign here in America means stop. And so that gives us the freedom of mobility. And then even just on a super high level, the freedom that we enjoy in America is based upon rules as well. This document called the constitution. And so we've kind of been looking for these rules to enable the freedom of commercial drone operations. And we're, we're starting to get there. It's exciting. Well, and especially as they're coming into their own, I mean, the it, particularly with the devastation and kind of the rebuilding and just the assessments, the public safety factor of the recent hurricanes that really drove home the reminder that we could use this technology to access and analyze areas that because of a natural disaster, the roads, the roads aren't there. Or the infrastructure isn't there, but we can get in with these aircraft. But that seems to have created part of the problem because now everybody wants to jump in on that. And so how are your clients 
as you know, go, you know, go, going above and beyond the minimums from the FAA. Yeah, so they do it in a number of different ways, and some of it is in the form of risk assessments. So, really taking a step back and saying, "Let me look at this entire situation holistically and determine whether or not this is a time and a place that I want to fly." So, everything from how do you feel as a pilot? How do you feel as an operator? Are you being rushed? Did you get to do a pre-flight? Did you get to look at the airspace?、Um, how many hours of experience do you have? How many hours of experience do you have recently? They're really taking this very, very large, holistic view of how to handle a drone operation and working it backwards into great. Because we do all of this, we are going to be able to help people after a natural disaster, or we're going to be able to fly in places that otherwise would have been unavailable to us. And it's exciting to see that industry is willing to take this more seriously than the FAA is mandating, because. When the industry is able to guide themselves, great things can happen.、Uh, in the absence of regulation, private industry is making sure that hey, we're going to keep this safe for everybody. We don't want to be the ones to ruin it. Well, and to be fair, before it beat up on the FAA too much, that the FAA's job or task is safety in the national airspace. Period.、Uh, And in the past, they've certainly taken the more "what's the bare minimum to be safe," and and let's build from there. But as you've noted, it's more it's more to it than that, and industry needs to build on because you don't want to hire someone. I mean, just because I've turned sixteen, I have my driver's license. Perhaps you don't want to hire me just yet to drive a school bus. And you know the FAA is in a pretty unenviable position. This is an agency that was designed to handle seventy-five thousand commercial aircraft or aircraft in the United States, and they're dealing with millions of drones all of a sudden.、Um, that's certainly not the kind of thing you can really prepare for. That's just technology marching forward, and it's, I mean, not a good spot to be in if you're the FAA. It's not not an enviable spot to have to deal with that. Now, in, in going back to this op-ed that you wrote,、uh, Link,、uh, fact check. Can you hear me now? And if, for those who are interested in finding a copy of it, you can go to www.suasnews.com and find find a link to the article. But you really hit the nail on the head with. When the FAA has tried to branch out, as they have in this case, by bringing in and partnering with some of the private industry, sometimes it goes awry. And in this case, that sh- that seems to be what's happening here. In private, in in particular, a couple sections、uh, sectors of the private industry yeah, are taking advantage of that. And you know, it, it's not the kind of situation where you want to have to make a lot of noise.、Uh, we really do support the FAA and. One of Kitty Hawk's mandates is to help keep the national airspace safe. We are fully bought in. However, when I see things that could potentially put that in jeopardy, or situations that are really preventing the national airspace from being used to its full efficacy, those are things I have to speak up about. And oftentimes, these opinions are unpopular, but、uh, I'm I'm nothing if not polarizing. 
Well, and if they were all popular, it'd be boring. I mean, and, and in this case, you know, it, you were very respectful, I thought, but really highlighting some of the issues with the low altitude airspace notification capability. Yeah, say that five times fast. Uh, that they the FAA announced what was it twelve uh, different par- private partners, but only twelve. And in an industry where uh, Kitty Hawk is certainly one of the leaders, but there's a lot of players involved. How do you balance some of that when you're trying to test it, but You've got so many folks yeah, that want so to have something to the, the correct way to do this would be to limit the number of areas that Lance was enabled in, not limit the number of partners. And so, you know, the number of flights that happen in the Reno area are not going to appreciably change whether you have one partner or 20 partners. And so the idea of limiting the number of partners and limiting the number of airports felt a little bit prohibitive to me, especially if this is, in fact, a beta test this beta test should be getting ready for production. And if the 12 people who wrote the software to power this uh, are the only ones a part of that beta test, I'm not sure what it is we're looking to learn from this. I mean, it almost sounds as if it's not even truly a, a beta test. It's, it's almost like the pre-beta phase is if, as you noted, the folks who wrote code or the one yeah and you know, one would hope that with all of the brilliant engineering mind power in that group uh they would be able to open it up to a larger group and moreover you know because they have access to it and other folks don't that really does create an unfair playing field and even though it's just for a few months boy that's a long time in startup world no kidding and so before we jump to the commercial break, perhaps explain to us a little bit of what's going on with Lance. What's it? What's so the Lance FAA's is really goal? a good stopgap measure to help alleviate all of the commercial airspace authorizations that are coming in. There are large teams of commercial operators just waiting to fly in these areas that they they cannot fly in, and so they are following the rules. They are submitting um, they are submitting applications to fly in this airspace and. When you do it by hand, it takes the FAA 60 to 90 days. Lance is meant to alleviate that pressure by making it instantaneous and available via an API. So really what's happening is all these commercial and and, also hobbyists who want to fly within five miles or three miles, within certain otherwise somewhat restricted airspace, of an airport. So five miles of an airport, you want to fly, you're authorized to do so, so long as you provide notice or request a waiver. This is essentially automating that process. It's automating a very intensive manual process and making it almost instantaneously available. But as you noted, that, that seems like it would trigger quite a problem if the test partners aren't ready for either the volume or the areas. I mean, they've only selected how many, 10 different sites or... Well, let's just assume that the test partners are capable and they can handle it. The question now becomes is why do they get exclusive access to it before everybody else? Well, and how were they selected is one of the other questions, but 
We'll pick up some of this right after the commercial break. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio, talking with Josh from Kitty Hawk and on drones right after this. Field books. There is a difference, and the difference is made in the USA by family-owned and operated Bogside Publishing in New Hampshire. For over 38 years, the family business has produced the finest, most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable field books in the land surveying and engineering industry. Demand the best from your supplier, Bogside Publishing Field Books. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Talking today with Josh from Kitty Hawk on drones and really all the gadgets and gizmos that go with them. But before the break, we were talking about the FAA's new Lance beta test is one way of calling it. But as, as Josh and I noted, it Perhaps isn't even in the beta test phase, but the FAA's latest attempt to automate some of its drone operations uh, approvals and waivers, and they've selected a few, 12 uh, companies to help with this initial testing phase, but it wasn't exactly open and uh, public on how this process occurred. I mean, Josh, what were your thoughts on the selection process? I mean, did Kitty Hawk have an opportunity? Well, so it was uh, about 16 months ago. They put out a public notice saying we're looking for folks to help with this. They got 41 applications, and of those, they picked 12. And so when we were asking about what are the criteria what is the you know method in which you pick these folks? It was, well, it's people we think have the domain expertise to help and the resources in order to divert from their business to also be able to put into this program. And when you look at the 12, that's actually a pretty good um, way to surmise the way they pick these people. It's definitely a very capable group of smart people looking to come together that have the resources and want to advance the unmanned aviation industry. Well... And then you get to, though, what, where the industry was 16 months ago, where it is going now. And really, it's so much has changed between now and or then. And really, as, as you said, the volume, the sheer volume. And that's a, that's a pretty big inside track to say, yeah, I helped – you talk about a competitive edge to be able to say, yeah, I helped craft the system. Have they Are they opening up the data, or how transparent will it be once it's all up and running? Yeah, so when, it, when it's up and running, I think it's going to be quite a bit more transparent. But as of now, it's not even clear what it takes to become an FAA-approved Lance vendor. And obviously, that's a problem. So if there are clear standards that they are approving on, why are those not public? And really, the bigger question is, if if it's if somebody's approved, why isn't it clear what it takes for them to be approved so that others can work towards that as well? Well, and what does it really mean when they open it up? I mean, I'd like to know that if it's really just an application portal, that 
a, a means by which I can submit my automatic request, then why would we want to have multiple different uh, options to go to? Well, I think this bears a very strong resemblance to the debate over privatized air traffic control. And having different providers creates competition in the marketplace and ultimately gives people the freedom to work with the entity that they want. Um, I know that after I published this yesterday, uh, well, after I published this yesterday, my inbox, Twitter, and LinkedIn all absolutely set themselves on fire. But um, out of that, I got a lot of messages saying, yeah, it's you know, crummy that one of the two options to deal with this is Verizon. And I'm sympathetic. That's not a good situation to be in, particularly if your business lives and dies on being able to operate in these restricted areas. And so luckily now there's obviously a second provider. Um, AirMap is now a second FAA-approved provider, and they're a fantastic alternative to Verizon. But you know, if you want good competition and innovation in the marketplace, obviously having more than two providers is going to be key. Well, so let's go back and talk about because this was such a great op-ed. Perhaps share what what your thoughts were and kind of what summarize what you said. The too long to read, you know, too long didn't read version. Yeah, the too long didn't read version. That's the TLDR, as they as the cool kids call it on the interwebs. So my point was was twofold. Number one, it was that the FAA has created a scenario, unintentionally by all accounts, that they have created a strategic advantage for private industry. And so the 12 companies that were in the working group, the private working group, now have exclusive access to this airspace. And so even though it's a beta, even though it is a um, test, and the FAA can put the genie back in the bottle anytime they want – what we were worried about is that this would be the start of a lot of very serious marketing campaigns. And so we, you know, definitely made our concerns known that in the, in the absence of strong and clear communications policies, marketing will find a way to fill in. Um, we were not heard. And so what ended up happening was, is we saw Skyward launching these very large marketing campaigns and article after article after article saying, Skyward now has instant authorization to airspace via Lance and over and over and over again. And, you know, Liz, I work with the press a lot in my job. And I find, by and large, they are a group of hardworking people who want to tell the right story. And when I see over and over and over again the same omission in articles, I wonder that, wow, I don't think this many reporters messed this up. I think that perhaps it's easy to overlook the notion of this has been conveniently left out, and maybe we don't want to reach out and correct and say it's just a test. And well, that's and where I find this to be a little bit disingenuous. I'll say, well, going back one, uh, Skyward. Who owns Skyward? Yeah, so Verizon, Verizon uh, acquired Skyward in February of 2016. And as you might know, Verizon is a company that has its hands in virtually everything. This is the same company that was lobbying Congress to repeal net neutrality laws to sell you advertising based upon your browsing history. And when I think about them having exclusive access to the national airspace because they're the first approved FAA vendor, um, I get a little bit of a chill up my, up my back. Well, and really, they're going to have at least the beta testing 
phases, exclusive, you know, near exclusive access to all this information that who is applying, when they're applying, when they want to fly, all these different, all this different data about what aircraft they're using, what hours, who that, you know, they're basically getting all of this. And if we're saying that data is money, they're getting a lot of money that no one else is going to have access to that pot, at least for the beta testing phase. Yeah, and so our, our stance on this was that the FAA should have said, welcome, welcome to the private working group. We're happy to have your help. But absolutely no way can you market this in a for-profit context, especially because we can pull the plug on this thing at any moment. So imagine you're a consumer or you're an enterprise and you pay money to be a part of a, a company, you know, or to purchase a product of a company that offers Lance authorizations. And then suddenly the FAA yanks out the rug from the program. That doesn't seem like a very up and up way of doing business. Well, that's one of the problems, uh, both Twitter, Facebook, several of the, let's just say data generating companies have, uh, posed to some of their partners because, they did. They turned off the fire hose, and there was a series of lawsuits where companies said, no, 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 I built an entire business model on your letting me drink from the fire hose, and suddenly you've cut it off, and essentially they were told, sucks to be you, too bad, it's our data, and we're going to make money ourselves. So, But in this case, if I want to operate my drone for business, you know, for commercial purposes or even for fun, the FA has necessitated that I use one of these companies to get my authorization and my waiver. And now it's basically given that competitive advantage to those companies because I have no choice but to use them. Yeah. And so the other important part about this that, that I think is, is noteworthy is that if you get to shape the way this process looks, if you get to say, this is how this should operate, the competitive advantage, your kind of payback for being part of the working group is that you get to influence the way this is going to work best with your platform, with your software, with your product, not exclusive access to something that the rest of the industry does not have access to. And when you look at the way in which they chose these companies, right? They have the resources, they have the expertise. Typically, these are well, well-established incumbents or at least very well-funded startups. And to basically shut off the rest of the industry from this and allow these 12, uh, you know, kings to be made here seems to be a pretty serious conflict of interest. Well, it's, it's the cool kids building their own, so to speak, rather than giving the, I mean, his, Kitty Hawk certainly is an established, you know, but you are a venture-backed company. And so how do you grow from there when you don't have necessarily that serious uh, Verizon type? We power, we power, you know, tens of thousands of flights, uh, commercial flights every month. And part of the frustrating part about this is we have customers coming to us saying, we're ready for Lance. When will you be ready? And they're looking at these headlines and saying, wow, other people are ready. And then we have to kind of break down the truth. And so I didn't really want to write this op-ed, but my hand was forced because 
in this way, it looks like we were not keeping up with the market, when in reality, we're helping people safely power tens of thousands of flights every month. And we would love to be a part of the Lance program so that we can help them get the authorizations they need to do their business and move on with their life. Well, and you've certainly hit the nail on the head and certainly struck a chord by pointing out that we'll get there. But when we get there, it's going to be a tougher, you know, a little bit more of an uphill battle because you're now going to have to get the Lance system to play nicely with or your systems, you know, your platforms, your software to play nicely with Lance. And that takes a little bit of a, I mean, are y'all just going to invest in Mountain Dew and, uh, you know, sugar well, candy to keep your coders up? I have to say that the Kitty Hawk team is a really dangerous group of operators. I've seen them accomplish things that shock and awe me. It's amazing to watch them work. Uh, and we're really proud of what they do. But, you know, the fact that these these 12 companies have the ability to do this means they know what it takes to integrate with Lance. Why is this standard not being published? Why aren't other companies able to prepare for this so that on day one, upon getting their FAA approval, they're able to have this ready to go as well? So the system clearly works. They're using it in production, or at least beta, and yet there are no standards being published so that companies like Kitty Hawk can start programming now to be able to have the same advantage as everybody else in the industry. And this isn't necessarily in a drone industry or aviation industry specific issue of sure once everybody's ready to play it's kind of you know the starting gun sounds and it, it seems like a couple of the folks are being able to start a mile down the course and you just have to hope that your team can sprint and make up that area what and really something to delve into after the break or what are some of the issues specific to the drone industry and that arise from this challenge? Yeah, there's definitely a number of things specific to the drone industry that really make this a problem unique to our industry. But when you look at the larger context of privatized solutions and government relations, these are a recurring theme in the new world of technology that we live in. Absolutely. Things to pick up when we come back. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Your auto love and investment demands the best. And for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. 
Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Catch us each Wednesday from 2 to 3 Eastern on AmericasWebRadio.com or find the Lawyer Liz podcast version available on iTunes, your favorite podcast streaming service. Talking today with Josh from Kitty Hawk. Kitty Hawk is a drone solution software data system. Basically, they're the method behind the madness that is the information your drones are operating by and collecting. So, Josh, again, thank you again for all of your time today and your insights really into as the FAA starts innovating, what happens when the beta tests and as we find with other industries, what happens when a select few get that early uh, sneak preview? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at other cases of this happening, um, things like being able to offer domain names is a good example. So ICANN being selective of who's able to offer the uh, .academy domain name, for example, this generally tends to lead to anti-competitive behavior and in general is bad for the market. And so picking winners in this way is not necessarily the most effective way to create an industry. And honestly, the drone industry has enough problems in and of itself before, you know, we don't need everybody fighting each other at this early stage. This is just really, really detrimental to the industry. We're looking to make sure that this is an industry growing and is growing up. And to see things like this happening is just really consummately disappointing. Well, and another thing I've always found working in technology, particularly in information security, I want as many people as possible poking holes and testing and kind of kicking the tires and seeing where the vulnerabilities are so that they can get addressed quickly and efficiently. Or if not, then kind of buyer user beware. But this kind of closed door system doesn't really encourage that that approach. No, it doesn't. And, you know, there's other situations where sort of a proprietary protocol has been used in maybe not such a fantastic way. I know that there is great concern amongst those who uh, believe in ADSB. ADSB does have a saturation point, and there are various nefarious ways that you can kind of uh, mess with people doing that. Uh, there's other examples where, you know, even perhaps just saying, all right, there's no auditing on this. That's trouble. I mean, we want people to be able to see what is the code they're running. And this is really where you see a lot of the problems cropping up with DJI. A very talented group of security professionals has turned their attention to what is actually going on with DJI's applications. And, oh, boy, I thought I was a hornet's yeah, nest kicker. We, exactly. Well, and we've uh, – Kevin Finister has been on this show Previously, so I encourage everyone to go find that episode. But really, what happens when you have a company that is responsible at this point for probably about 70-75% of the drones in the air, and people start noticing there's issues, not necessarily, and of course, there are issues with the security, 
of the systems and the software. But in this case, more so you have a company that how's it managing the data you're doing? I mean, that seemed to be you had the Army's or uh, memo earlier this summer saying, hey, off-the-shelf operations are a no-go. How has that trickled down into the the public sector or the commercial sector? Yeah, I think those are very real concerns. So when you look at the vulnerability that they're speaking about, this was something so egregious that if Apple had caught it, Apple would have kicked this out of the App Store. Um, this JS patch feature, which essentially allows remote code execution by privileged folks, is potentially a huge problem. And absolutely, when they just kind of sounded, blew the whistle and sounded the alarm, uh, everybody listened, and rightfully so. This was... Uh, a big concern in terms of keeping the integrity of the software safe, especially when that software is in charge of very real hardware and what is potentially very important data. Well, especially when you have the Lance system and uh, once it's fully operational and rolled out, you're going to have a, a higher volume of air traffic or drones flying closer and closer to some critical uh facilities in airports or elsewhere. And so what happens when not only do you have to worry about the usual uh, hackers nefariously getting into stuff, but even when the actual functionality of the software is we're going to take your information, your data, and make a copy of it and upload it to our files as well. Yeah, it's a big concern. And a lot of our customers were extraordinarily worried about that. And Rightfully so, particularly infrastructure and energy and anybody who has to kind of work with Department of Homeland Security was exceptionally worried about how do you manage this threat? How do you manage this threat vector? And we kind of were working with them to make sure that there were processes in place to make sure that none of this data was liberated off their SD card. And that's a very real concern. Well, and so what are some of the ways you helped your clients mitigate these issues? So some of our energy customers in particular have uh, such rigorous standards around this. So they can only operate the drone in airplane mode. They have to basically have what is a chain of custody for the SD card. So they take it out of the drone. They walk it to a place. It goes into a secure computer. It is then, you know, via a person who is trusted, and then it is uploaded to a place where, or it's watched locally, um, even more commonly, to be able to get the information and the insights that they need out of it. But this is absolutely a big problem. And, you know, one of the things that we saw was we had a customer and they were using Kitty Hawk to manage their flight operations. They had taken some pictures and they went to upgrade their firmware and left the SD card in the drone. And so hours later, they said, what are these pictures doing in DJI Go? And it was because they had left the SD card in the drone while it was in Go, and it had gone and taken all the pictures and uploaded them to the cloud. Now, there's no evidence that any of this was going to China or that uh, it was being used for nefarious purposes, but taking that kind of liberties with people's data is a very serious thing, and particularly when it has a lot of metadata attached to it. For example, latitude and longitude, customer information, etc., well, exactly. And in some cases, that may be, they may be under their own different uh, restrictions or agreements with someone that, you know, hey, we're going to, you know, have, have 
capture this imagery and other things and we'll give you the exclusive right to use it or you know they may not have the permissions themselves to be able to do it and suddenly you've already from the get-go inadvertently violated your own uh, contract yeah that's the that's the worst case scenario and you know it wasn't it wasn't malicious it wasn't necessarily damaging but boy that is certainly a big red flag of this this process is now interfering with our ability to uphold contracts that's a scary notion for for a business well and also too if you look at the bigger picture and that uh, you know it's easy for and we've seen demonstrations of this at defcon and black hat uh conferences out in las vegas for years i mean uh, where people can remotely access your drone, you know, a DJI drone aircraft or really any of the major manufacturers and have them surreptitiously collect other information or other data that perhaps you haven't knowingly collected or access it. And suddenly now you have that information. Mean, it's just, it's creating this web, but without consent so you don't even know if it was a malicious actor or oh no that's what dji intended but just forgot to tell us yeah and this is this is a growing problem in a number of sectors for example do you have an alexa or a google home in your house ah see longtime listeners at the buzz off show know that i am very scared of those but exactly what happens when that integrates with everything else and I also don't have one, though I really am considering building an Arduino-based uh, clap-on, clap-off system so that I can get that cool functionality, but I don't want to seem like I'm, like, 75 years old. Yeah, I mean, it just, it's the privacy versus convenience versus all of that, and what where is all this information being processed and what happens with can this information be used against i mean what about corporate espionage too yeah if you knew that you know or what if you were front running the stock market what if you knew that the damage to x y and z was so bad that it would affect earnings and you could just basically do insider trading with information you've stolen there's a lot of nefarious situations here yeah so other than telling your users, okay, remember to take out your SD card before you connect and do some other things. How are some ways that your software engineers are working to combat some of these issues, to build, to bake in the privacy and security? Yeah, so we're very selective about the things that we we take. We ask about anything that we send back. Uh, Everybody is able to go and see all of their information, and we're very cognizant about things like two-factor authentication or thumbprint authentication. We want to make sure that the security scales with the product, and, you know, we we work hard at this. We're not saying we're perfect, but we're trying. And now, how do your researchers, I mean, how do they, like, are you all constantly updating your software and your systems to say, oh, well, we've identified this problem, and here's a patch, here's a fix. Are they going to the latest conferences? What's going on? Yeah, we're shipping code every day. And, uh, you know, part of part of Kitty Hawk is there's two things. One, you have to be a continuous learner, keep up on all of the new and exciting things. And then second, you have to know how to fly. So both of those are things that we uphold very, very uh, seriously in our company. And making sure that security is a thing that everybody is constantly learning on is very important to us. 
Well, fantastic. And so highlight a little bit because you were just in Georgia for the Georgia Drone Summit. You've been here and there and everywhere. So we're one, what do you have coming up next? What are some of the presentations that folks should check out? And where can they check out more about Kitty Hawk? Yeah, so the next conference I'm speaking at is DJI Airworks, and that's going to be in Denver, November 8th and 9th. And, yeah, if you want to learn more about Kitty Hawk, you can go to www.kittyhawk.io. And if you're unsure what Kitty Hawk is, I think the best way to say it is Kitty Hawk helps groups of people manage fleets of drones at scale. One drone solves a problem that's dull, dirty, and dangerous. You might need to do inspections, or you need to fly and tell a story, or you just don't want to go and climb a ladder up on the top of that roof. But many drones causes a huge headache. How is a person in charge of 200 people that have never operated a drone before manage that? And so for the first time in history, you can be an aviator without being a real pilot, and you are still responsible for all of the things that that entails. And so Kitty Hawk is really the full-stack solution to make sure you can manage all of the mission, the aircraft, and the data so that you can have safe and compliant commercial drone operations. So, and without giving away, you know, I don't want you to violate any confidentiality agreements or anything, but you all did some cool work with CNN. We're, we're very proud to help power CNN's drone operations. They just got a flight over people waiver, and we completely applaud them. They are such an amazing team when it comes to safety and security. They are working so hard to make sure they uphold the highest standards way higher than what is mandated and prescripted. They are all so professional and take such care and diligence in their work. It's really just a, it's an honor to watch them work and to do this. So it sounds like the, the take-home message is, uh, you know, innovation is good, but you need to have as many people as possible kicking the tires and reviewing that data, especially when it comes to drones. But thanks to Josh with Kitty Hawk for joining us. Thanks to everyone for listening. You've been listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, and catch us next time. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.